I don't know about you, but I love this time of year. I really do. I, mean, I just I love it for so many reasons. I mean, I, yes, it's the going to my mother-in-law's house and eating her spread on Thanksgiving Day. Anybody for that? Whoop whoop. Yeah, uh, I love that. I love the whole nostalgia of you know the Christmas songs and the decorations and all that. As a younger adult, I was more of a, a bah humbug kind of Scrooge character at Christmas. So I was like, ah, well, this is gonna be over. But as I get older, I, I appreciate it more and more. And there's so many different things. Yes, I love the gift giving and the gift receiving, which isn't bad. I love all these things, but that's not the thing I love most about this season. For me, one of the reasons I love this season the most is because I know, I can see it on my calendar coming, that it is going to be a time where I can experience something that I don't always experience the rest of the year. I can experience rest. Rest. That's me. I know that's not true for everybody, but that's true for me. The word of today is rest, okay? And I want you to get that burned into your brain because today's word is rest. What's today's word? Rest. All right, so here's the deal. I know from experience and my own life experience, every year hasn't been this way, that sometimes holiday season can be like anything but rest. I mean, go, 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 go. I got program on top of program on top of school play, on top of uh, Christmas party. There's all different Christmas parties. Why can't we all just together have one big party? One big party. It's going to be downtown. We'll do it with the parade. One big thing. We're done. No. Every kid you have has to have three different parties. Then you got the neighborhood party. If you're in a small group, they're having a party. It's all party, party, party. And you're like, I'm, I'm exhausted. I'm tired of parties. Then there's the shopping. There's the piled on, like can't find anywhere to park. In Wilmington, traffic on college. It's like Wait, no, that's all year long, so that's not just Christmas. But you're just like, I can't, it's busy, 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 right? And so maybe for you, Thanksgiving and Christmas season is not a time of rest. It's a time where you're like, whoo, I could use some rest. <laughs> like, I could use some rest. I got good news for you. What's the word of today? Rest. I believe something about rest. I think that rest may actually be one of God's biggest goals for us to understand. I'm going to say that again because it might have just blown your mind or you weren't listening close enough because this is huge. Rest may be one of God's biggest goals for you in your life. I'm not talking about laziness. I'm not talking about sleeping in. I'm not talking about like being sluggish. I'm talking about like true rest. Resting in who he is, resting in what he's given us and just being able to be good in that. Rest. And so... As we get going today, I want to kind of do a little group therapy, okay? <laughs> we might need this. I want you to go to your happy place. You got a happy place? All right, rest, okay? For you, it might be it's 85 degrees. It's, uh, I don't know, June sometime. It's a perfect breeze. You're sitting in your favorite chair at the beach, and you can smell the salt air. You got your headphones in playing your favorite song, your favorite beverage in the cooler next to you, and your kids are behaving themselves. Like, all of that is right, and you're like, ah. <sighs> Right? Maybe, maybe, that, maybe that's your happy place. Maybe for you it's that vacation that you and your family have been planning and saving for for two and a half years. And, and it's finally come and it's that moment you walk into the room, the hotel room, whatever, and you put your bags down and you just flop down on the bed. Oh, we're here. We made it. It might be that moment for you every single night when your kids fall asleep. <laughs> You're like, yo, woohoo! All right, eight hours and then we'll go again. Um, whatever it is, the word is, is rest. And so... I hope Thanksgiving was a restful time for you, but because I believe that God may have rest as one of his key goals for our life, what we're going to do is really unpack what that means for us today, because we live in a world of busy, don't we? How often do you have a conversation that goes something like this? Hey, how you been? Woo, been busy. That's not what I asked you. I didn't ask you if you were busy. What, what have you been doing? Hey, how are things going? Man, I was, I'm tired. <laughs> you know, like this is a conversation we have all the time, and it's just, I know, it's small talk. But in a way, we kind of wear it on our chest like a big blue ribbon that we wanted to stay fair. You know what I mean? 
Because as if, if I'm busier, like my life is more fulfilling and more productive. I got more going on. Oh, yeah, well, you know how it is. <laughs> Life's busy. Got a lot going on. Yeah, what have you been doing? Oh, busy, 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 busy. But the irony is we, 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 we go to this busy life, and the goal is maybe that we, we fill our plates up to make our life full. But even in the full-platedness, our life isn't necessarily fulfilling. Isn't that ironic? It's like when you go to one of those big, uh, the big buffet places and you walk away going like, oh, I should have done that. <laughs> but life can be that way. Life is busy, busy, busy. And, and what we're getting into today is, I think, a cry of our soul. It's this deep, it's this deep soul level unrest. And that we're crying out, I just need rest for my soul. We've talked many times recently about the unrest in the world. You know, the tragedies that happen week in and week out over and over and over. It's like, ah, where's their rest? And then in your family and then when we go to our family times, yeah, I had a good time at our family times. But, you know, in some of that and some of the conversations, I was reminded that not everyone in my family was having a great Thanksgiving, you know, and those other things going on. And, and our soul cries out, when do we get a break? When is there rest? This month, we've been in this teaching series called First Fruits, Giving God the Best of You. And we've looked at all kinds of different ways that we can give God kind of the first slice of our life. And just say, you know, God, I want to take off the top, I want to give you the best of me. And I think that is a goal for most of us in this room. I really do. I hope that it becomes a goal for you. Our church wants to be a God-chasing, grace-shaped, love-agent people. And we want to chase God with everything that's in us. But if I'm honest, and I step back at the end of my day sometimes, I look back over everything I did, I realize, though maybe I want to give God my best, maybe at best I gave him my leftovers, you know? I didn't really give him all my energy, all my effort, all my praise. Like, I didn't do my best for him today or this week, or maybe it's been longer. And so all this month, we've been unpacking, what does it mean to really put God first? And it's been challenging, to say the least, but I think it's been a lot of fun, at least for me, as we've been able to say, you know, it's possible. And this is why, because I'm realizing more and more that God isn't looking at me going, you got to get this right or you're out. Like, if you don't get this perfect, sorry, no heaven, no blessings, no. No, God's like, no, I love you. And I'm, if you turn to me with your life, I'm going to give you grace. And I'm going to get you through this life. But with the life you have left, I want you to do your best to live it for me. And so it's been a lot of fun as we get on into that. And so today we're wrapping up this whole first fruits idea, and I hope that our teaching today will really reshape not only how you rethink rest, but honestly, I hope that it'll reshape how you live every single day of your life. I really do. And I, there's, there's a little bitty, little bitty nugget at the very end, so hang on. Don't, fall, don't rest too much. Don't fall asleep. Um, hold on to the end, because there's a thing that I've been doing the last few weeks that's made a big difference in my life, and some of my friends have as well, and I think it's something that you're going to want to maybe start thinking about in your life as well. And so what I want you to do is I want you to kick back in these super comfortable movie theater seats, okay, as we explore what does God have for us when it comes to rest, and how can we give him the first fruit of that rest? We love to look to the Bible for the answers to life's most important questions. And so today we're going to be kind of jumping around through a couple different places in the Bible where we see God teaching us about rest and hopefully pull away from that what we can do as individuals to do that on our own. The very first time we see this is in the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, Genesis. Uh, and in the very first two chapters, we see this creation narrative as, as the, the world, the universe are created. And so the first mention of rest really uh, is in Genesis chapter 2, verse 2. 
And this is what's going on. God has created all of the world. And on the seventh day, the final day of his creation, this is what it says. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. And so on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. So it's easy to read this and think, well, that makes sense. Makes complete sense. Yesterday, my son and I went out and we, uh, we raked like seven tons of pine straw in our yard. And it was like all this work and we were tired. And so after a hard day's work, what do you want to do? We want to go inside. I'm going to pour me a big glass of, of cold iced tea and I want to sit on my couch and I want to drink my tea, right? Like, and that makes sense. But then I'm reminded, God doesn't get tired, why did God need to rest on the seventh day? I mean, he's, from what I understand about God, he's all powerful. He doesn't really need a nap. He didn't have nappy time in the middle of the day just so he's not grumpy God at the end of the day. Like, he's just, he's God, and so he didn't need it. So I don't think that God rested because he was tired. And I think that in this thing, we see uh, the beginnings of a thing he's going to begin teaching his people for the rest of time. Um, it, it, there's, a, there's a teacher I've been listening to lately. His name's Marty Solomon. I want to... Uh, advise that you check him out. He's got a website called BemaDiscipleship.com. The word Bema is spelled B-E-M-A. Uh, and Bema is this concept of this, uh, this, this teaching platform in like a Jewish synagogue. But uh, this guy, is a, he's a Christian guy, but he spent a lot of time trying to understand uh, Jewish and especially Eastern culture. If you think about the whole Bible, uh, it was actually written to an Eastern world. It was written by Eastern people, right? And we are Westerners. And so the Eastern world and the Western world, we think of things a lot differently sometimes. And so one thing he does is unpack that, those nuances and things that maybe uh, we could understand more fully if we saw them through the eyes of the people who originally wrote it a little bit better. So this has been a pretty cool study to go through. And as he's talking about the creation story, he's talking about God as an artist, like a creator. And so picture God, and he's making the whole universe, if you can even fathom what even that would look like. And he's creating, he's creating, he's creating. And then there's this one point in his artistic creation that he just says, yeah, yeah, this is enough. This is enough. And he ceases working. If you've ever done any art or you talk to an artist, you'll find that one of the biggest keys to doing great art is to know when to stop creating your art. Maybe you've, you've tried a painting. And you're like, I got to get it just right. Oh, too much, too much. I ruined it. You look back through the Renaissance uh, greats, Michelangelo, this great sculptor and all these things that he did. And, and you look at these anatomically perfect human figures carved out of what marble or something. It's like, wow. But you know what? One more stroke of the chisel on like a nose is ruined. Like it doesn't look as good anymore. And so these great artists, one of their greatest skills was when knowing when to step away and say, that's it, that's it. That's enough. And so one thing that Marty Solomon says is that we serve a God who knows when to say enough. God didn't stop and rest because he was tired. He took a step back because he said, this is it. This is perfect. This is what I need it to be. This is how I intended to make it. And as God was creating, he knew when to say enough. This is the first time we see the concept of rest in Scripture. God taking a step back to say, it's complete. This is enough. We serve a God who knows when to say enough. But, but I said, this is just the beginning. God begins to teach this concept of rest over and over again. Uh, when he gives the, the Jews in the Old Testament, these are God's chosen people in the Old Testament, and that's the, the lineage of people that Jesus eventually comes out of. But you've got the Jews here, and they get uh, all, all their law from God. And we talked a couple months ago now. We did a big study on the Ten Commandments. Remember the Ten Commandments? 
one of the Ten Commandments, one of the ten top rules that God wanted them to understand how to live their life in a way that honors him was honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Have you ever really thought about that law? We, we talked about it a few weeks ago, so if you were here, or a couple months ago, so if you were here, you might remember that. But the concept of the Sabbath was this. You know, there's a lot of work you have to do in your day. You, if you're a builder, you're going to build every day. If you're a baker, you're going to bake every day. If you've got your job, you're going to do it every day. But I want you to take a day where you stop doing that so that you can focus on what I've given you and you can worship. This was the Sabbath concept. It was part of their law they lived by. It was a very big thing. It was something that Christians continued to do even after Jesus came. A pretty cool thing. It's why Chick-fil-A is closed, incidentally, today. Because uh, it goes back to kind of an old school Christian concept that there's a day in the week where you shouldn't work. And so God has this kind of principle of Sabbath. And he's telling his people, listen, you need to cease working. And you need to be like me. And you need to know when to say enough. You're not big enough. You're not strong enough. You're not influential enough. You can't fix all the problems of the world. You need to step back and you need to just be able to say enough. And I want to rest in knowing that God can handle this thing. Rest happens in an interesting context. I I was thinking a lot about this week and I'm not sure that you can really have true rest without true trust. Think about this. You, You need to be in a situation where you can really relax to get rest. And if you don't trust your environment, you don't trust your situation, you're going to be restless. You're going to be constantly looking around. You're going to be constantly checking out what's going on around me. In our minds, part of the reason we work and and we go so hard is because we live in a world and our life is built this way where we measure the quality of our life by how much we can produce every day. Can I get up and be productive? Isn't that a thing that you strive for? I want to be productive today. If you had a bad day, one reason you might say it was a bad day is like, man, I just wasn't very productive today, right? We talk like this, and it's not terrible. It's just a thing that we do, though. We want to produce, produce, produce. It's it's so, like, prevalent in us that when you meet somebody, one of the first things you're going to learn about each other is, what do you do? What do you do? How do you define yourself? Well, I'm the guy who builds bridges. Oh, really? That's what you contribute to society. Good for you. You know, I make glass, you know. Anybody make glass? Someone does. It's everywhere. Um, but, you know, you got this, this, this idea that whatever you do, what you contribute to society, that's what gives your life value. And then when we see someone who doesn't have a job or a career, we're like, yeah, they're still figuring it out. <laughs> they don't, they're not quite contributing to society quite yet. It's the world we live in. And, and, and there's some healthiness to it. God does talk about the extreme value of good work ethic. And you need to be someone who's putting food on your table and taking care of your can, uh, family. That's, that's not what this is about. But to some degree, we look at our life and we say, the sum value of my life is what can I produce for this world? And if I can't produce what someone else produced, then maybe I'm not as good as they are. And what that leads to is this rat race uh, of business that leads to stress and the longing for rest. (laughs) I just can't catch my breath. It's really important to remember that God created you exactly as he intended to create you. He's a God who knows when to say enough. And when he looks at your life, he doesn't love you more or less based on how much you produce or what you can't produce. He loves you because you're his special creation. Did you know that as he goes through creation and you read that story in Genesis, he says, let there be light and there was light. And he says, and it was good. And then he goes through every different thing and they, they did animals, they did land and it was good and it was good and it was good. But then he created mankind. I don't know if you remember this or if you've caught it. But when he gets to us, he says, and it was very good. We're special to him. 
And it was right after that that God stepped back and said, that's enough. Your value and whether or not God loves you doesn't come from what you can produce in this world. Ask anyone who's produced millions of something. And they'll step back and tell you, I don't know, this still didn't fill me. So all through the Bible, we see that God understands our quest for rest. He's a God who totally gets that we work hard. I think it's because he created us to be hardworking people. He wants to work hard and he wants us to rest hard. Jesus talks about this very same thing uh, in Matthew chapter 11. This is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are four books that are in the New Testament of the Bible and they're a biography of Jesus' life, each one of them. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus is teaching some and, and he brings this up and talks in verse 28, Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What does it mean for us to say enough? What does it mean for us to rest? Well, what I wanna do in kind of time we got left is is I wanna unpack this teaching from Jesus and I wanna see what we can learn in our own lives about what it means to to truly rest to sit back and enjoy the creation that God has made and say, yeah, that's, that's enough. <laughs> that's enough. I can live with that. And so let's just unpack this. It starts like this. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. And I don't think that I have to explain this part to us. Weary and burdened. Have you been there? You just had a day, a week, a month, maybe a decade where you were like, oh my goodness. I can't, I can't do this anymore. I'm just, I can't. And it's the single mom who's working her fingers to the bone just to put food on the table. And she's like, I just, I don't know how much longer I can do this. Or it's that guy who like just keeps on making the wrong choices. He's not a bad guy. You know this guy. He's not a bad guy. He's a good guy. He just keeps on making boneheaded choice after boneheaded choice. And he's like, can I ever get a break? Man, I tried. Ugh. And there he is again. It's, it's parents, parents. And we've got an issue with one of our kids and we just can't, what is it people say? I just can't. (laughs) I just just can't even. And you can't can't move past that. Like I can't figure out the right disciplinary action to get this habit out of my child. Ah! And and it's those moments where we're just like, I'm weary and I am burdened. And so Jesus says, come to me with that. Bring me that. You bring that to me and I will give you rest. Because Jesus understands us. He knows that rest is something that we long for. Um, I want to give you a little definition for rest that just kind of, I don't know, it's one that I've used for a couple of years that helps me. I, I think that rest is this. I think that rest is knowing that everything is under control and will be okay. You won't find that, I don't think, in like Webster or anything. That, that's just Chris's version of a definition. It's knowing that everything will be okay and that everything's under control. And I'll illustrate it for you like this. My kids, um, they are uh, 11 and 8 now, and I love just listening to them play. It's great, man. My daughter, she goes in her bedroom. She got all her baby dolls lined up, you know, and she's like the teacher. She's like, okay, today we're doing math. I got the most educated baby dolls in the neighborhood in my house. They're, they're good. They're on long division. I'm very proud of them. Susie Q needs to work on her, her stuff a little bit. But, you know, so she's, work, so she's a teacher, right? She's just hanging out. She's teaching her baby dolls. I go by my, my son's room. He's building Lego, and he's got like this battle going on in there, and he's like talking for the characters like, oh, I'm going to get you. Ah, and they're playing, and they're just having a blast. And, you know, kids 
get rest. They get it. They get it. You know why? Because they don't have to worry about who's going to pay the mortgage. (laughs) They don't have to go to work in the morning. They might have responsibilities, but if you've had kids, you know, they don't care that they have responsibilities. Like, I'll get it done. If I don't, I'll get it. I'll get in trouble, and I'll do it later. I'll get it done. They understand that everything's going to be okay and everything's under control. I recognize some kids don't have that luxury and that's a whole thing. But you get it. Hopefully you had that experience as a kid. You were like, that's just free-spiritedness. And as adults, it's hard for us to do that. <laughs> Even when you're on vacation. Anybody been on vacation recently? Just, it, it, hopefully this doesn't ruin your next vacation, but you were already doing it, so don't worry about it. You're enjoying it. You're like, this is great. Ah, but Monday, I got that project due. Monday, 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 you know, and it's this broken record playing in the back of our mind of like, what's next? Even when we're resting, this is great, but we don't, we, because we do have more responsibility and we have some burden and we have some weariness. And so Jesus says, look, come to me with your weariness. Come to me with your burden. I'm not telling you don't be productive. I'm not telling you don't do things in the world, but come to me with that. So let's just keep unpacking it in verse 29. So then he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. What the heck does that mean? Take my yoke upon you. We don't talk about this very much uh, today, but I want to kind of unpack it for you because it's a really deep concept. Uh, first of all, yoke. Uh, what is a yoke? If you think back to the farming days, and maybe you, you've experienced this even in more modern stuff, um, a yoke is just simply a, a kind of a harness device that would hold maybe two animals together, two donkeys together. They would pull you know, a cart or, or a plow or something. This is the yoke. This is the thing that holds them together. It holds them to the cart. It's a harnessing device. In Jesus' day, there were these teachers called rabbis. In fact, Jesus was a rabbi himself. And these were people who kind of had a set of, of philosophies, of teachings, of, of, of moral ethics. And these are the things that they kind of, this is what was their teachings. And so their, their students, this is what they're learning, okay? That set of teachings was called their yoke. So you're going around, you go to some guy's teaching, and you're like, I really like the way this person teaches, I think I want to follow that person. I think I'm going to learn more from that person. You've had, an apprentice, you've had like a boss or someone, a mentor that's taught you something, right? You've done this. You're like, I want to be like that person. I want to do what that person can do. So you would go to that person and you would say, I want to be your disciple. This is the concept of a, a follower or a learner. And what you might say to them or what was at least implied was, I want to take your yoke on me. Your yoke is a set of teachings. I, I want to hook up with that. I want to harness up with that. And I want to, I want to pull forward with that. And so Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. So all of the teachings that Jesus has in his whole mindset and his worldview and what he's teaching about life, when you become a Christian, what you're essentially doing is saying, Jesus, I want to yoke up with you. I want to learn what you know. I want to live the life that you teach us how to live. And Jesus says, take my yoke upon me, upon you and learn from me. If you want to experience rest, learn to live life the way that I live it. And let me show you how to do that. What was Jesus' yoke? What were the things in his teaching? We talk about that every single week here. Actually, that's kind of what church is. It's like unpacking Jesus' yoke. Um, but, you know, we could talk about a lot of things. We talk about, I mean, one of the main things he talked about was the kingdom of heaven. He talks about that and pretty much everything he talks about. He talks a lot about compassion. Or if he's not talking about compassion, he's showing compassion. One thing Jesus does a lot of is going to kind of the least of these is what he calls it. But these people who are kind of on the fringes of society, maybe they've got a disease. Maybe they're kind of an outcast. Maybe they're socially rejected, whatever. And he spends time with 
with them, loving them. So this is all part of Jesus' yoke, and we could unpack a lot of that stuff. But what I want to do today is talk about rest. Because as I look at the life of Jesus, I actually see that part of his teaching, part of his life, did involve some of this intentional rest. If you look in Mark chapter 1, we've been in Matthew for a little while. Matthew is one of the biographies of Jesus. Mark is the shortest biography of Jesus. If you want to try to uh, get kind of a note version of Jesus' life, Mark would be a great place to go. Um, but in Mark chapter 1, this is how the book kicks off. Jesus is having like one of the busiest days ever, okay? If anybody understood busy days... It had to be Jesus. Uh, he shows up in this town. He, he has this altercation with a demon-possessed man. You may have experienced this outside of a convenience store before. <laughs> you know, like, what is wrong with you, right? But he actually has answers for this guy. So he comes and he actually exercises the demon, gets it out of the guy. And that had to be spiritually and emotionally exhausting, dealing with that. Don't know how long that took. We don't get a whole lot of details about it in the story. But then he moves on directly from that. Mark says immediately he goes to uh, Simon as one of his Jesus' followers. He goes to Simon's mother-in-law's house. And when they get there, they find out that Simon's mother-in-law is really, really sick, like deathly ill. And so Jesus comes in and Jesus does the Jesus thing. He heals the lady and he does that. Meanwhile, the word around town is spreading that Jesus is in town. Dude, first thing he did when he got here was fix Jethro's demon problem. <laughs> like, dude, he, he got clothes on now. It's amazing. Like, you should see this guy. He's a complete change. He was a wreck yesterday. Jesus changed his life. People are like, what? I've heard about this Jesus guy. We got to go see him. They hear the word about Simon's mother-in-law getting healed. They're like, what? He heals sick people? I got sick people. So at the end of the chapter, we find that Jesus in Mark chapter 1 has like a line of people out of Simon mother, mother, Simon's mother-in-law's house. Like I'm just picturing it like Black Friday, okay? And they're just standing there, and, and they're just waiting to get in. And they need Jesus. And so Jesus is tending to their needs, and he's listening to them, and he's uh, healing them, and he's praying with them, and he's talking with them, and he's going, 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 going. At the end of the day, he's like... I need some rest. I'm beat. I think some of the moms in the room can get this. You're like, does anybody else need me right now? I just need a minute. And that's why they make locks on bathroom doors. <laughs> um, because mom needs a minute. And this is where Jesus is. I just need a minute. I cannot keep going. Now, I, it might seem like sacrilegious to say that kind of stuff about Jesus. But I, I want to remind us, Jesus was fully God. He was. He was fully God. We learned that Jesus is God in the flesh. But one thing he voluntarily did was he also made himself fully man. So he dealt with a lot of the physical restrictions of being human. Hunger and thirst and emotional stuff and being tired. And this day Jesus was swamped. So what does he do about it? Mark chapter 1 verse 35. It's near the end of that chapter and this is what we, what we get. It says this, very early in the morning. While it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now, that's all. It's like a really short little teaching there. It's very, very, very short. Uh, Mark, I told you it's the shortest gospel. Mark wasn't big on detail. If you want detail, go read Luke. Luke is all about detail. Like, he was like, okay, all right, I got it. I got it, Luke. I got it. You know, you, you probably have that friend. Um, but Mark was like, I'm just going to get through the story. In fact, many times Mark is called the gospel of action. Because like every story, he uses the word immediately. It's fun to read the book of Mark and see how many times either the word or the concept immediately pops up. Because it's like, Mark was in a hurry. He's like, man, I got to tell the story. Um, so it's a very short story. But in this very short story, we get like, we get a packed teaching. In fact, this is going to be very, very fast. I'm just going to go through it. Four little bullet points. Let's just leave the scripture on the, on the screen there. And let's see how Jesus found 
rest, specifically this time through prayer, through prayer. Now, there's other ways to rest in God, but this is how he did it this time, through prayer. First, this is how he started his day. Number one, it's how he started. Actually, there's bullet points. You can put those up, too. I told you to leave the scripture up there. Now I'm confusing people. Is this how he started his day? Like, he could have done a lot of other things, and Jesus was tired, like I said. And a lot of times when we have a really long day, what's our first, our first thing we want to do? I want to sleep in. <laughs> I want to sleep in. Like, I want to get as much rest as I can because I'm beat. And for the record, I think God's cool with us sleeping in. But he started his day with this rest very early in the morning. Second, it was when nothing else was going on. It says, while it was still dark, he got up and left the house. It was still dark, and, and it's hard for us sometimes. When we have those busy, busy days, you're like, where am I going to fit in time to rest? Where, let alone read the Bible or pray or anything like that. It was a busy day. Well, sometimes you've got to carve it out in your schedule. Jesus knew he had a full plate. So he's like, I'm going to get up while it's still dark. And the third part, it was away. He, he went away from the mess. And I just always picture Jesus kind of creeping through the like, living area, and all his disciples are sleeping on the floor. And he's like, shh. And Simon's like, <laughs> he's like, shh. You know, you know what I mean? Like on the cartoons and he walks out, but it was a way. And you know what? Sometimes we got to do to really get rest. We got to make a place and you might not have like a place you can go, but you, maybe you can close the door. Maybe one thing that I'll do sometimes is I'll just be in my car and transition between things. I do a lot of meetings all over the place. I'll just in my car, radio's off. Okay. <laughs> I'm just in a place, but it was a way. The fourth thing is this. He prayed. He prayed, and I don't want to. I don't want to underemphasize this. You might be like, "Yeah, he prayed." That's the point of the story. No, no, no. That's the point of the story. He prayed. It is so easy for us to do the other things. Okay, get up early in the morning. I'm gonna go away where it's quiet. I'm gonna make time, and I'm just gonna go on Facebook. <laughs> you know, I'm gonna get away early. I'm gonna go on vacation. I'm gonna get away. I'm gonna rest. I'm gonna refresh, and then I'm just gonna. I'm gonna go, go, go all day there. But when we set aside this time to rest in God, we've got to spend time resting in God. And it doesn't always have to be prayer. Uh, prayer happens in so many different ways. In fact, it could always be prayer, and we're not actually praying the way that you might traditionally think, dear God, fill in the blanks, amen, the end. Like, that's sometimes how we think prayer has to go. But, man, you could, if you can get away and you can go sit uh, on a beach for a little while, we happen to have a great one here, or in your car, in those moments, you know what you can do? You can enjoy the creation that was enough for God. <laughs> wow, God, thanks. Man, I, I'm putting things in perspective right in this moment. Or maybe uh, you do have a lot of bad things going on or some bad things going on. Maybe in those moments, instead of just like trying to um, hide it, you know, we, 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 we uh, deflect to other things. We spend that time handing those things to God. All right, God, I got a heavy thing going on right now. Um, I don't know what to do. So I just want to talk to you about it. But it's key that we make this time that we intentionally get away and we, we set our mind on laying our burdens down at the feet of Jesus. It's not going to happen by itself. And it's something that we've got to do intentionally. Resting in God is about knowing what you're responsible for and what you're not. As a kid, I had chores. Hopefully, we all did. The more chores, probably the, the better you turned out. <laughs> But I had chores. For some reason, my mom wanted us to vacuum every single room every day. And I was like, Mom, we haven't even been in that room since yesterday. Why am I vacuuming? Well, she's like, it builds character. I'm like, no, it tears up the carpet. 
But, you know, but another one of my chores was when I got home from school, I would have to get the mail out of the mailbox. And we had one of the kind of old school mailboxes that was up on the house, you know, right by the door. So it was like really not that big a deal. I was like, I got it. I was going to go to the door anyway. Um, but you get the mail. And, and, and so then I would take the mail. I would lay it on this desk that was my dad's desk. And I would put it there. And then my role was complete. I had gotten the mail. Now, I know now, as an adult, I know that many days, maybe every day, if not several days a week, there were th- very important messages in that stack of mail. There might have been a bill, phone phone bill. It might have been, you know, uh, something that my dad needed to get from the bank. It might have been an important letter from a relative. It might have been something really heavy that he had to deal with. It was in there, but my role was complete. I had gotten the mail out of the box. I had taken it in the house. I had put it on the desk. My dad's job was to open the mail and deal with what was inside. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. And take, your yoke, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your soul. When it comes to finding rest, it starts with knowing your role. And your role isn't to open every single envelope and deal with it and fix it. Yes, as you're an adult and you have more responsibilities, there are things that you're going to have a role in fixing. But it's extremely important for us to realize what we're incapable of fixing. And take it to our dad and say, listen, I need you to unpack this. I can't. I can't even. <laughs> I need you to deal with this. And not only does he uh, uh, allow this, he invites us to do this. And we go to God and we say, you know what? What I realize, God, while we're resting, I realize that you are God and I am not. I realize that you are in control And I am not. Here's a huge one. I realize that you see the big picture. And I do not. I see this little bitty thing through the peephole. It's my perspective. And I want to trust you with it. If you know your role, you will be able to find peace for your soul. That's a little poem that you can get embroidered on some cloth and hang in your bathroom. Know your role, find peace for your soul. Doing that will begin placing us in a place where we can truly give God the best of us. Um, this is a little thing I, I wanted to kind of, this what's been changing my life for the last few weeks. Um, I learned it from the Baymont podcast. Um, but but here, here's the, the setup for it. It's basically this. When it came to the day-to-day routine of the Jewish people, these are the people that the majority of the Bible was written to uh, originally, when it came to their day-to-day routine, they didn't begin their day by waking up in the morning. And our American minds go, wait, how'd that work? <laughs> How did they not begin their day by waking up in the morning? Uh, the Jewish day began at sundown. Our day begins at sunup, right? So we wake up, our alarm clock goes off, and the first thing on our mind is, what do I have to do today? We've got our calendar, we've got our agenda, we've got our schedule, we've got our thing, and we're like, okay, is it Tuesday? What do we do on Tuesdays? Okay, I gotta do this thing. That's how we start our day. What do I have to do today? That's the mindset of a life-focused on production. I need to give my life value by doing today what I can do today. Because if I don't get it all done today, I was not productive and I didn't do what I was supposed to do. But the Jews, they would start their day at sunset. And it's a pretty cool thing. And and it works out. I mean, there's a sunrise, there's a sunset. We measure our days by the sun anyway. So just pick a set, you know, sun up, down, whatever. And it's 24 hours. It works that way. But they started their day at sunset. And so that means for us, like it's Sunday right now, that like when the sun goes down this evening, you'd be like, okay, I'm going to start Monday now. It's kind of a neat thing, kind of a cool thing. 
Because what they would do is when the sun would go down, when the evening was beginning, they would then go home. If they were a builder, they would stop building. If they were a baker, they would stop baking. It wasn't about what they could produce. And they would sit with their families and they would eat their meals and they would just reflect on the day that they just had. And it was good. It was very good. And as they're standing there enjoying this day, they'd recline around and spend time together. And though production was important, it wasn't the main thing. Their day didn't begin with work. Their day began with what? Rest. What? You can do that? Yeah. This little shift in my mind over the last three or four weeks has been, it's been phenomenal. Because when I get home at the end of my day, I can say, hey, let me enjoy the creation that God has put before me. Let me enjoy this family that I'm with. Let me enjoy this house that I'm in. Let me enjoy this beautiful city that we live in. And in all of that, I can give God glory and praise because from that place of, of, of rest, I'm living in a state of trust. And in that state of trust, you know what I'm producing? Worship. Thank you, God, for what you've given me. The principle of first fruit, man, it can be applied to every area of our life. Uh, giving God the best of me. And we've talked about putting others first. And we talked about giving God first out of our heart and our mind the second week. Last week we talked about offerings and tithes. And these are all like very tangible things. But you know what else we can give God first? The first fruit of our rest. Aren't you so much better when you're rested? Don't you give so much more when you can finally feel rested? And in our rest, we can even make our rest about him. Yeah, he wants us to go on vacation, but not so that you can get away from work, so that you can rest in him. He wants you to sleep in if you've had lots of late nights. That's fine. But not so that you can catch up on your sleep, so that you can rest and and awake to serve him. We can give him the first fruits of our life by living out this principle of Sabbath that we see in the Old Testament. Setting aside time to say, you know what? God's in control and everything's going to be all right. And that's enough. That's enough. And Jesus said, come to me. All who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Let's pray this morning. God, thank you for rest. Um, It's, (laughs) it almost seems, I don't know why, it seems almost like, against the rules to preach a sermon on rest because it feels, feels like we should just do more and do more and do more. But so often those things on our counter, they pull us away from you and they make us lose sight of who you are. But what you want us to do is to be fully aware of who you are and what you can do. And so God, I just pray that as we kind of get into this busy season, we can take time to just rest in you, to know that you got it, that, yeah, there are bad things that, that are coming and that will happen, but that even in that storm, we can find a peace in the center that is you. Thank you for Jesus and his example. And may we kind of put on his yoke every day, get better at loving you and loving him. Thank you most of all for Jesus, who is the way that we receive grace and, and salvation, that it's not about us getting this perfectly. It's about us just trusting you. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.